Hi, I'm Andrew Rossi, and I'm the director and executive producer of the Andy Warhol Diaries. Warhol could see beauty all around him, but not very much in himself. And you know, for a gay guy, if you're not going to be the stud, you might as well be the freak. You know, drag queens have taught us this for a long time. You're not going to beat me up because I'm going to dress up. I'm going to create something. I'm going to create this image that's so powerful that you can't get to me. That comes out when you start to think about the uniform with Warhol and the persona, and really transforming his physical appearance and his physical image in order to enter into this very exclusive world. So what are you making yourself up to be? What am I making myself up to be? Uh, oh, just better looking. This is Factual America. We're brought to you by Alamo Pictures, an Austin and London-based production company making documentaries about America for international audiences. I'm your host, Matthew Sherwood. Each week, I watch a hit documentary and then talk with the filmmakers and their subjects. This week, it is my pleasure to welcome acclaimed filmmaker Andrew Rossi, writer and director of the Netflix docuseries, The Andy Warhol Diaries. Andy Warhol almost requires no introduction. Arguably the most famous artist of his generation, Warhol's work still resonates today, 35 years after his untimely death. But what do we know about the man behind the cultural icon? His diaries, which Andrew Rossi has brought brilliantly to life, give us a clue. Stay tuned as we learn how Warhol the man, talented, sensitive, gay, and religious, was far more complex and human than his public persona ever led on. Andrew, welcome to Factual America. How are things with you? They are great. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it's our pleasure. Uh, the f- well, it's a docu-series, The Andy Warhol Diaries, released on March 9th on Netflix. Um, so congratulations on that. And um, why don't you, I mean, we've said it in the intro, we basically say Andy Warhol doesn't need to be introduced, but uh, maybe you can give us an, uh, an introduction in terms of what the Andy Warhol Diaries episode, uh, docuseries is all about, maybe a, a synopsis. Definitely. Well, so Andy Warhol is very much a part of our visual landscape and a cultural icon that we all know so well, um, but more as a mythic figure than an actual living, breathing human being. And so the Andy Warhol Diaries is a series that attempts to go behind the public performance that Andy provided mm-hmm. um, and to understand his, uh, his role as a gay man um, mm-hmm. who had relationships um, and his artwork, uh, most importantly, the artwork that he created in the last 10 years of his life, which um, has not been studied as closely as some of the more famous um, mm-hmm. pop works of the 1960s, all through the lens of this diary that he kept um, in the last 10 years from 1976 to 1987. Um, And so the series presents um, his own words from the diaries um, Mm. that I and our whole team tried to take out of the the text to explain what his motivations were, um, what his relationships were, Mm. and how those influenced um, the artwork he made and how we might interpret his sort of cultural uh, legacy and the shadow he casts 
um, mm. in a way that is very contemporary and, and resonates with the current moment. Okay. Well, and speaking of that, why, I mean, again, it's uh, 35 years since his death. He's subject of multiple books, films, wealth of scholarship. Why, why tell this story now? What, what, what's led to this project happening, happening now here in 2022? Sure. You know, it's interesting because I started developing the project back in 2011 um, on the heels of another uh, film that I had done that sort of tried to go behind the scenes of a big institution. In that case, it was the New York Times for a film called Page One that I made. Um, And I've always been drawn to stories that reveal the, the humanity or something about a mythic figure or institution that we don't know in the hopes that it would provide some kind of either ethical or other revelatory insight. Um, Mm. And I think understanding Andy's queerness and his humanity um, plays an important role in dismantling the sort of asexual robot um, Mm. cliche around him in the past, but it also is an opportunity for us, the viewers, um, and also the people participating in the in the series, the interviewees, to go back and look at how so many of the values that um, prevailed 40 years ago have changed. Mm. Um, one of the biggest of those is same-sex marriage uh, being legalized in the United States, and generally um, the idea that that queer relationships are valid and can have long-term viability. Um, those have really changed the ways that Mm. I think queer people um, see their lives. And that resonates even more today when we have laws that are um, being advocated for in places like Florida, the don't say gay law um, and other um, protections that are um, being fought for uh, trans people in Texas and and all around the world really. So I think humanizing Andy Warhol as a queer icon rather than a sort of simplistic provocateur um, has has a lot of other uh, ramifications that I think are positive. So what were your impressions of Warhol going in? I mean, you said you first thought about this over 10 years ago, but did you think of him as a, back then, as a gay icon before you started going into this project? And did you realize he was much more complex than we had always been led to believe? So, so I did. I, um, I grew up in New York City and I saw Andy's work when I was uh, a young person. Uh, my dad would take me to art galleries and museums and, you know, his work was fun. It was, it had, it had a very vibrant color palette um, and the serial images like Elvis repeated um, or the, uh, the portraits of Marilyn Monroe and Liz Taylor, they sort of jumped out to me as a, as a, as a kid and, and, and in high school, the diaries were published. Mm. Um, and uh, I remember going home um, from school after getting off the Crosstown bus and seeing the book in a, in a bookstore window and immediately going in and purchasing it. I think because I was growing up in a very homophobic environment and I was you know, figuring out my sexuality as, as a bisexual man. And mm. Andy Warhol was a kind of a safe space um, mm. he was he was a role model. He he wasn't you know as as we discussed in the series out uh, in mm. in a sort of formal or official way at that point, but I think there was something about his um, footprint in the culture 
that gave permission to people to to be um, themselves, to be sort of outsiders, whether it be in in their sexual identity or in other ways. Um, and he had the show Andy Warhol's Television on um, public access cable that I watched. And so he was he was somebody that that really drew me in even then. And so, well, that's that, that's a very interesting point. So you read those you read those diaries when you were in high school, basically, uh, because I think it comes out in the uh, in in the in the docu series as well that people have re when they reread them many years later, they kind of see them in a different light. So is that because you must have spoken to you in one way then, and did it speak? Is it speak, does it speak to you a different way now? Those diaries. Yes, it does because when they were published. The um, the scandal at the time was all about how Andy was talking about Liz Taylor or other celebrities and right. drug use and going to Studio 54 and um, mm-hmm. the sort of um, glamorous pe- peccadillos of, mm-hmm. of the famous. Yeah. Um, and, and there was almost a sort of listing of parties and the celebrities who were in attendance that was obsessive um, and like a kind of force field or a set of distractions from what Andy was actually saying about himself. And so when I first picked it up um, back then in high school, it seemed almost like an art object that contained these lists um, and needed to be deciphered further. And it wasn't until 2011 when I was reading it again, um, I was in Europe uh, showing page one um, to different places and it was, sometimes a little bit of a lonely uh, process. And I would Mm. go back to the hotel room or go to a a coffee shop somewhere um, and read the diaries. And I was shocked when Andy started talking about his boyfriend, Jed Johnson, and then later his pursuit of John Gould um, and his discussion about um, these auction prices for other artists like Roy Lichtenstein or Mm. Jasper Johns. And so then I started to realize, wow, if you read between the lines of some of these parties, there are these really these these great nuggets of information about Andy himself and this sort of spiritual quest for meaning that he's on. Yeah. I mean, and not not to get sidetracked with this, but so Pat Hackett, who edited the, the original uh, diaries, I mean, and you you interview her on the in the, the docuseries uh, extensively. I mean, she she had to edit them down. I mean, she was an editor and there there's like what, twenty thousand pages or something of, of notes. So um I mean, you, you do discuss it with her, but uh, how do you think, I mean, what's your feel? Is she, did she leave anything out that maybe should have been left in or it's, it's hard, it's a hard one to, to call, isn't it? Yes. It's, it's really fascinating to think about how Pat had a particular um, impact on what is published, not only in terms of how she selected the stories, but also in terms of how Andy would have performed his life for her also. And she says um, in the last episode that, you know, if Andy had been speaking to Christopher Makos, who was actually the person um, that Andy had as the companion and, and, and was more, um, more, more a part of Andy's queer life yeah. and social yeah. life, then the, the diary could have been totally different and maybe would have emphasized even more some of his romantic pursuits. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but Pat, uh, I think, had a real sense of, what at the time was considered pop or mainstream mm. um, and accessible. And so she says that she wanted there always to be a balance between the personal and also the public. 
and and enough celebrities to kind of keep people interested. You know, I, I think that's another change 40 years later. Um, perhaps there's more bandwidth among audiences mm. to go down the road of a story that's more personal and more intimate versus only having um, the boldface names. Right, or the gossip, which we're already aware of now anyway, because it's just readily available, isn't it? Absolutely. And, and, and you know, yesterday's gossip today maybe doesn't mean anything. I mean, yeah. you know, that's, that's one thing, you know, when I was going through all the proper names, you might not know who they are now. So yeah. I think it's, it's the inner struggle and journey that, that really transcends. Interesting. No, it's, it's a, that's a very good point. I mean, cause let's, I mean, for our younger listeners, cause I, I, I remember interview magazine and these sort of things. I'm of that age. Uh, but uh, um, I mean, his whole life was performance art. I mean, his, his whole life was a performance, wasn't it? At least his public life. Yes. Uh, you know, Andy, when he, came to New York, he struggled to be successful in the art world. And he made a, a, a sort of fateful decision that I think has had an impact on the rest of our mm. um, culture to drop the A off of his last name, Warhola. He was um, the, the son of immigrants. Um, and he always struggled with the way that his skin looked and his mm. you know, baldness from a young age. And he decided to wear a, a white wig. And he created this character, Andy Warhol, um, that became his sort of armor. And, and, and it was a, a, a persona that he tried to embody when he did interviews with the press who would ask him to explain his artwork and its meaning. And it was a way for him to deflect uh, questions and to sort of hide behind um, a, a costume and, and again, a mm -hmm. persona. Yeah. And so, I mean... It, it must be, uh, it's an amazing challenge for a filmmaker to try to get through that. Because it's, as you said, it's this, it's, I don't know, it's this almost impenetrable wall that we have that is his persona and what we, or those of us of, of, of a certain age remember, or those who just see the videos online or, or whatever. I mean, what, I mean, maybe coming into this, uh, you'd read the diaries, you had a second read, you're, you're interviewing people. But what is what have we gotten wrong about the story? I guess there's a few different uh, areas that. Uh, so one is this idea of him being this asexual robot, right? Which he said plenty of times that that's what he was, in in, in, in essence. But uh, you know, as the diaries show, or at least more than hint at, and as you show with all your well documented, uh, he was he was a. Um, Avowed, avowedly a, a, a homosexual man. He was. He lived a, that life. That was his life. That's who he was. And that's. There's no. There's really. Was that all his sort of construction? This whole idea of being asexual was it part of trying to fit in? What What do you think was driving that? It, as As you say, there are so many different myths and yeah. efforts by Andy to um, to construct an image that making the series required several levels of sort of peeling back the layers and the diaries really um, help in that effort because Andy's own words and, and the voice um, that is provided by a combination of AI and the actor, Bill Irwin mm. um, give you Andy's own um, sort of confession of feeling 
totally awkward saying that he's is a freak um, and talking about the ways in which, for example, when ABC news comes with right. the 2020 crew to see yeah. how he is putting together portraits um, how much he's afraid for also the financial um, health of, of his company, Andy Warhol enterprises. Yeah. Um, and so I think, I, I hope the viewer starts to understand that Andy is constantly juggling many different mm. um, uh, stakes. And, yeah. and one of those is his sense that as a, a gay man, um, that he won't be accepted by a society that, you know, when he first was, was uh, growing up in Pittsburgh, deemed homosexuality illegal um, and, and a, a mental illness. Um, he is, is also struggling with his uh, religious background, which views homosexuality as immoral. Um, but it is actually within his Byzantine Catholicism, I think that we start to find the first big revelation. Mm. Um, people... Uh, were unaware that Andy was a very religious person and went to church um, at St. Vincent Ferrer in Manhattan um, mm-hmm. throughout the, the, the work week. He, he would go, um, you know, even as an older man, but then also uh, his mother, Julia, took him to mass um, on Sundays, three masses back to back, it's reported. Um, and it's in that context that he um, discovered a, a form of uh, painting that is part of the Byzantine Catholic Church, the iconostasis, mm-hmm. um, which shows saints in a very flat surface. Um, so he gains a, a sort of formal approach that we can see traces of in his portraits, but he also gains um, a, 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 an approach to spirituality that comes through a lot in the diaries. Mm. And I think that's the other, the other thing that, um, in peeling back the layers comes through love for him and the search mm. for connection to his romantic partners is explicitly part of the way that he frames um, his, his effort to fill the void to, he mm. says he has desperate feelings and he feels empty. And, and then he says, and that's why I'm, I would like to fall in love with, for example, John Gould. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where we bring in, um, the other uh, characters like Jed and John, and then ultimately Jean-Michel Basquiat. Yeah. yeah. And I think, uh, I mean, as you mentioned too, with these, uh, with, with certainly in Byzantine and also Orthodox Christianity, I mean, the, the icons are also, it's a way into God, actually, uh, through, you know, it's, they are a gateway to God in a way. So it's, uh, and then it replicate, he obviously replicates that throughout, you know, his art, um, his, you know, it's 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 very interesting, um, and yet, and I guess this also points out to this point. I guess this, uh, you know, we could, we don't have long enough to go through all the myths. You would probably tell me, but uh, but this idea that you know people just think some people just think of him for the '60s, right? The pop art, the Campbell's soup cans, and all that stuff. But he had these other periods in his life, which some probably now I don't know. I th- did, did did he have a retrospective recently? I think in New York. I mean, it was just. Uh, Probably, you know, people are looking at those last, that last decade of his life. Yes. You know, there was the, the Whitney exhibition, Andy Warhol, the philosophy of Andy Warhol from A to B and back again in 2018 mm. that Donna DeSalvo organized. And then after that, there was a Tate exhibition. Right. Both of these 
put much more emphasis on Andy's later work um, from the 70s into the 80s than ever before. And I think that's really critical. And as you suggest, the, the religious components of Andy's worldview really come to bear in this work. And it provides an incredible insight into his whole career um, because the search for meaning and some kind of spiritual insight and, and a reckoning with, with God and mortality mm. Mm. are actually behind a lot of the work that many of us have seen on the first layer is like a comment on consumer culture right. um, and consumerism. So um, we look at the Campbell soup can, or we look at um, the images of celebrities and they play in a, in a pop vernacular as a found object um, iconicized in, in, a, in a really dramatic um, presentation as just like one of the, the, the artifacts of contemporary life. But I think when you understand that Andy is also um, looking at the world as a Catholic and with a sense of the judgment of God and, and ultimately Jesus Christ, as, mm. as we see in the Last Supper paintings, which are the last ones he does, we can interpret some of his other um, paintings like the electric chair um, or some of his later advertising slogans that say heaven and hell are just one breath mm. away as comments on the existential crisis of, you know, what does it mean to be on this earth and to be close to death at all times. Okay. This takes on even more significance during the HIV AIDS crisis hmm. when Andy, like so many other um, gay men, is thinking about uh, the AIDS crisis, uh, as, as Jeffrey Deitch says, every hour. Hmm. This, is, this is a condition of of life basically from 1982 till, till he dies um, that is inescapable. And it comes through in searing language in the diaries. Mm. Um, and I think the other fascinating thing is that with Jean-Michel Basquiat, he starts to pick up the brush again and he starts doing work with more symbolic narrative. Um, and so again, in the last supper, there are depictions of Jesus and other um, sort of totemic symbols that participate in some sort of effort for Andy to, to, to think about God as both judge and as agent of mercy, some, somebody yeah. who can yeah. deliver him. Um, so, so these are, you know, focusing on the late work really, um, first of all, puts emphasis on some of these, these canvases that are, that are stunning and, and incredible, like the camouflage and the Rorschach, mm. But it also gives you a whole other window into, you know, these images of the 20th century um, that that have many layers. Hold that thought, as I know you will. Uh, let's let's uh, we'll give our listeners a quick break, and we'll be right back with Andrew Rossi, uh, writer, executive producer, director of the Andy Warhol Diaries, released on March 9th on Netflix. If you enjoy Factual America, check out the Movie Maker podcast. That's all one word, Movie Maker. Where our friends at MovieMaker.com interview everyone from filmmakers just breaking in to A-listers like David Fincher and Edgar Wright about their movie-making secrets and behind-the-scenes tricks of the trade. 
They go deep and let the guests speak uninterrupted to get you the most film insight. Now back to Factual America. Welcome back to Factual America. I'm here with acclaimed filmmaker Andrew Rossi, the writer and director and exec producer of the Andy Warhol Diaries, released uh, this month, March 2022, on Netflix. Do do give it a look uh, and give it a watch. It's uh, six episodes, but it flies by, we'll say. It was a uh, very, very, very... I I think if I may say people will be referencing this work I'm sure in the in in long from now when they're when they're talking about Andy Warhol. Uh you were talking about we were talking about Warhol and in this the the myths and the persona and if if there's one last thing I would say on that I mean what we've discussed about just now is last those that the last period of his life and the art he was doing and what he was going through and the AIDS crisis and everything. This is anyone, this this is certainly not someone who's superficial. You know, this is, you know, which is, I mean, you know, you can Google it, look it up. There's David Bowie quotes and stuff like that about uh, Lou Reed saying, you know, he's you should have a wind-up doll and you pull it up and I think Andy would not say anything or do anything. You know, it's cause kind of was this persona. But it's, that's what struck me, I think, most of the, through all this is just, um, this is a very, as as most great well most of us are but most great people are a very complex individual is isn't he that's absolutely right i think as you say as most of us are right yeah. so, no one is really as simplistic as you know um yeah. the 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 cardboard you know sort of mm-hmm. um cliche that that comes up and so i think in humanizing someone like Andy Warhol, there, there are other takeaways that maybe apply to all of our lives. And, and, and hopefully that's, that's one way in which the viewer can connect with this depiction of Andy. There's a certain sadness and loneliness. There's also great fun times and optimism mm-hmm. that he's having, but I think maybe we can all relate to the, 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 the pain of, of just being human in this world. Yeah. And I think maybe that also gets to this, this, this complexity gets this, one other thing that sort of struck me was that, uh, so we've got Pat Hackett's diary, and as we've already discussed, depending on who Andy would have been talking to, you would have gotten something different. But what also strikes me is you you interview a lot of people, uh, a lot of incredible people, people's f- close friends of uh, Andy Warhol's and then others who knew him. Everyone's got a slightly different, everyone's got a different story about the same event. You know, it's, it's an interesting one. That must have been... Uh, hard to try to get that all pieced together, but it is, I guess it's just, that's human nature as well. That's absolutely right. There is a subjectivity to Andy's recollection of events. And, you know, it's always important to remember that this is not the gospel truth. Mm. Um, This is Andy's interpretation. And in that respect, hopefully it is rich with his emotional investment and sort of his jealousies and his, um, his loves and, um, you know, this, this is not an objective history. It's, it's one person's way into it. Yeah. And, you know, let's, so let's pivot a little bit into terms of the film. I mean, uh, so how do you go about making a film about a cultural icon, especially one who is uh, a filmmaker himself? That must be uh, a hard act to live to, or what, how do you live up to those expectations? Or do you worry about that? No, I mean, I, I, I definitely, I didn't worry about it so much as think it was an amazing opportunity to lean into 
a, a storytelling style and a, and a formalistic style that would um, honor Andy's own visual spectacle right. in his work. Right. And, and so, you know, Andy Warhol's a pioneer of appropriation art, of, of taking, mm-hmm. you know, images and, and objects in the popular culture and representing them um, in a way that, as Jeffrey Deitch explains, comes from Duchamp at the beginning mm-hmm. of the century, but takes that to another level with mass media um, being widely available, where the object um, or the celebrity, Marilyn Monroe, has a meaning already. And mm-hmm. then if framed in, on a canvas in a different way, takes all that meaning and then takes on new meaning. Um, and so I wanted to do that with Andy's own artwork and mm-hmm. also with the movies that he saw in the 70s and the 80s um, and, and the ways that he describes them in the diaries, whether it's The Outsiders, which is yeah. a movie with Rob Lowe um, <laughs> that is, uh, you know, as much about male love as it is about um, the greasers, quote unquote, right. who are in there, right. who, are out, who are literally the outsiders. Yeah. Um, uh, a movie like Mommy Dearest, uh, which features Faye Dunaway playing Joan Crawford, whom Andy identifies with. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, his, his own films, as you said, he's a filmmaker. And so when he made Blowjob or Couch or other films in the 60s, mm-hmm. those are um, clues to his actual interests um, and his, um, uh, his, his homoerotic approach to, um, mm-hmm. to, to imagery. Um, and I worked uh, with our editor, uh, Stephen Ross, mm. to create a sort of cinematic language, a visual language that could be either complementing or in tension with what Andy was actually saying. Mm. Um, so that at, at any given moment, you're hearing Andy's voice talking about um, his intentions and doing something. And you can tell that he's, he's being coy or he's you know, deflecting something. Um, but then what we see might be um, an image from, from Andy's uh, previous work. Um, and, and yeah, so hopefully that, that was yeah. a gauntlet thrown down that was good. <laughs> yeah, so instead of being a challenge, actually, it's an incredible opportunity and a lot of fun, I imagine. It gives you more f- freedom than you would have with a, maybe some other docs. I, yes, this, this is the first time that I've written really extensive scripts um, yeah. for all the episodes. And so I tried to map out how can we tell, you know, a, a, a given scene in both, you know, with one auditory track and another visual one. Mm-hmm. And then we just had fun, um, you know, in, in creating it. it. It reminded me of a couple of other movies like Green Fog um, mm-hmm. by Guy Madden um, and uh, the work of Richard Prince. Um, there's, there's just so much uh, to play with there. And you just mentioned uh, his voice and audio. I mean, you 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 have an actor. In, what was this? You used AI. How did that How did that come about? And how did that work out? Yes. Well, I was really lucky to uh, collaborate with Resemble AI, which is a a, a, a company that does cloning of voices, mm-hmm. um, and we worked with them to create an algorithm that took a, a data set of Andy speaking with his Pittsburgh accent and his right. sort of yeah. halting uh, cadence um, 
And from that algorithm, we're able to draft um, different scenes. And then I, I think I realized that, that we weren't getting close enough. And so I recorded with Bill Irwin, um, right. who's an amazing actor who's done a lot of work, um, stage work mm. uh, with the plays of uh, Samuel Beckett and others, right. and really is um, attuned to the sort of poetry of, of ordinary language. And so having Bill voice Andy was, was amazing. Um, and so he recorded all of the lines um, that I selected for the series. And then we combine those with the algorithm in an interpolated model. Mm. Um, no, it's interesting. Cause I, I would have, I mean, it wasn't until I looked at the credits that I noticed. Cause I, at first I thought you actually had Pat Hackett's old recordings of all the, <laughs> so it, I mean, it's that well done. I mean, it's, it does, you know, it, it, you think you definitely think you're listening to Andy Warhol. Well, that's great. I mean, I think, yeah. you know, Andy naturally had a bit of flatness to his yeah. voice. And he also said that he wanted to be a machine. You know, he had yeah. so much of a sensitive heart. As, as Lucy Sant says, his, his heart was like wrapped in gauze. It was, mm. he was that sensitive. Um, he didn't want to have feelings and wanted to be like a robot and indeed had himself made into a robot and a hologram. <laughs> so it felt like the AI voice uh, would honor this artistic practice and would be another self-portrait. Yeah. And then you've got, I mean... You you're spoiled for choice when it came to archive. I mean, you must must have taken you ages to go through all that to decide and to, and to assemble all that along with all the uh, uh, the subjects that you interview. It absolutely it was such a joy. Um, I worked with uh, co-producer Adam McGill um, and uh, co-AP Stacy Reese, who helped to organize um, the blanket license with. Um, the Warhol Foundation. We had access to all of Andy's paintings and photographs. Wow. Um, there are over 120,000 negatives, I believe, that uh, from Andy's uh, contact <laughs> sheets yeah. Um, yeah. And, and photo snapshots that he took in the last 10 years. Um, and those are all available online now uh, at the Stanford collection, the Stanford okay. Library co collection. Um, so we basically... Um, created connections between the scenes that Andy describes in the diaries mm -hmm. and the documentation, whether through um, publicly available archives like CBS News or, mm -hmm. or Pino or other sources, and then the photographs that Andy had taken, um, and then what interviewees explained and, and yeah. created a, a, a tapestry. Yeah. And then an amazing Incredible cast of subjects, uh, ranging from everyone at Andy Warhol Enterprises, the 80s art scene, certainly, um, and then celebrities that we're, that we're still fortunate to have with us, or some aren't, we're not that fortunate, they're not that old. Uh, but, uh, uh, I mean, that, is that a challenge at all? Or does everyone just is like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm making a film about Andy Warhol's diaries, and everyone just pretty much said yes. Well, there, there were some, some concerns naturally. Um, but on the other hand, you know, when we were in production, it was basically in the middle to the end of um, the pandemic. Mm. Um, and so several people had passed away recently, Bridget Berlin, John Richardson, a few years before. Oh, that's right. yeah. um, and, you know, and there was this sense that this might be one of the last times where everyone could participate mm -hmm. Andy's peers those who lived right. through the moment 
to to contribute. Um, and so, you know, those who said yes, I think were were really open to to digging deep. I think for me, the biggest interviews that that were critical were um, Jay Gould and Jay Johnson, mm. the twin brothers of, of Andy's key romantic partners, um, Jed and John. Um, you know, when I went to film with with Jay Gould, I just was very moved that he would sort of open up this story, which in many ways had sort of been erased mm. and talk about his brother who was in the closet and had lived essentially mm. a double life um, in in very stark and and sincere terms. And so um, th- those were really important. Yeah. And then as, as you suggest, also other figures who, you know, don't always get called on to, to talk about this yeah. period, Lee Quinone is, I mean, Fat Five Freddy is, is, mm-hmm. is an expert on this, but I was, you know, very happy that he agreed to participate uh, Futura 2000, um, you know, digging into the, the background, Greg Tate also, who sadly passed away, Mm. um of that of that 80s period was important mm. and then i think even even one of them uh was it christopher marcos who even said he feels like he's talking to a shrink <laughs> you, you were really <laughs> you really felt pushed in some ways but i mean in a good way i mean you have to you have to explore the the, the issues i think so i think you know the the question that i've or the thing that i've heard a lot of people say like oh i see that there's another andy warhol series and why should i you know, like yeah. people yeah. maybe feel like they've seen it already. And so I, I knew that going into it. And I thought this is not worth doing mm. unless there's really a new um, insight into who Andy was. And also participants are challenged that, that I can really ask them to go back 35, 40 years and reckon with how things have changed. And what was it that they saw um, in the factory. And, and I, I hope I, I got close to, to doing that and, um, and, and did so in a way that, that is, you know, revealing and, and also respectful to, to them. And I think Christopher feels, as you, as you mentioned, Christopher Makos, you know, went on a journey to understand the role that he played in Andy's life. Um, mm. doing the, the altered images series, which was, you know, depicting Andy in female um, clothes, um and um was part of his way to explore his own identity yeah no i think uh, i mean um I, I, unfortunately we're about to come to the end of our, our time together but i mean I, the, the thing is there's there's so much to to explore with with uh, andy warhol's life and everything surrounding that uh there's a reason you need six episodes uh at, at least and that's just dealing with this basically these last 10 years Primarily, um, so uh, and spoiler alert, but uh, you know, Jay Gould's uh, mother had quite a find. We had a, quite a find in her attic, <laughs> didn't we? But uh, but you'll f- watch. Get to episode six, you'll see what uh, you'll see what we're talking about. But uh, I do highly recommend everyone watch this because it's uh, it is. I think it's very insightful. It's a it's um, um, it, it it. I think it just it really rounds out the 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 man that for for someone like me probably had a very two dimensional view of so I I do do appreciate that um, I mean what is what's next for you um, I'm assuming you're not resting on your laurels so what's what what do you have next in line in terms of your projects Well I think I'm still um, assessing what would be another large 
scale um, yeah. work of, of this sort. I mean, I'm interested in, in the uh, story of Leo Castelli as well. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the art dealer who worked with, with Andy, um, but right. also with Jasper Johns and Robert Rauschenberg um, who were lovers and yeah. um, uh, part of a, a broader queer scene with Merce Cunningham and John Cage and others that mm. we don't always think of in those terms. Um, and then I'm also interested in um, some some designers in, in the fashion world who have mm. influenced our um, views of um, masculinity and the male gaze through mm. advertising um, in this in this period as well, um, and understanding what their backstories are in, in a way that hopefully is again unerasing certain things that we sort of we take for granted or we don't ask the, the question. Yeah. I thought that, I mean, and I'm not wearing this in an homage, but the preppy handbook uh, was kind of an interesting segment in one of the episodes too. And never, I, even the author hadn't really thought of it in, in the, in the way that then it's kind of, you could see the revelation that came in her eyes as she, as you were interviewing her. Definitely. I mean, and that's another thing that I sort of lived through. I remember yeah. the sort of, um, the like hegemony practically the cultural <laughs> sort of pressure of this yeah. of this greed is good in 1980s like preppy mm. aesthetic that was actually in many ways um corrosive i mean certainly you know like this this the sweater yeah. you, you you are wearing is 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 a, is a comfortable thing that maybe has <laughs> lost its potency now it, it's right be- right and that's and that's part of it right it's like yeah. those things they become part of the culture and we've stopped questioning them but at the moment they have a lot of power and i think there's value in going back and understanding mm. why you know what is the meaning of those symbols and then was the 80s so you you know we don't usually think of the 80s well, that's how we usually think of the 80s is, you know, what was going on with preppies, you know, that kind of element. But then was the 80s art scene a reaction to that? Because that is an amazing art scene, just like the scene you discussed previously that you might be exploring in a future film was an incredible art scene for its 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 time when you just think of those names. Um, yes, I, well, I think you see the sort of the properties of Wall Street being mm-hmm. applied to the fine art world and the effort to commodify the works of, of artists mm. in the sort of as rock stars um, in a way that is definitely like everything has to be under the yoke of capitalism and mm. turbocharged in order to have value. Um, and then of course there are tributaries of, of diverging yeah. opinion and movement and, 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 and revolt against that, that can be found as well. Well, when I guess you even have Warhol saying that there's no greater art than good business or something to that effect. Yes, that's, that's, that's absolutely right. And I think, you know, maybe he meant it ironically, um, or almost as satire, but there is a kernel of truth to that. And, and mm. that's another reason why a lot of people, um, maybe recoil at, at the thought of, of Andy. Um, but that's something that, you know, can't be brushed over. And, and, and certainly I, I tackle that. Um, yeah. But at, at least Andy does say after g- attending the Reagan inauguration that even though he sort of liked the, 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 the enthusiasm of the Republicans, he's happy he's a Democrat. So that, yeah. that's some consolation to me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or, but I mean, one last okay. Well, one final question. Uh, I mean, with Warhol, what what do we? 
I mean, because we've we've discussed we've we've discussed Dylan, who comes out of this world. We've you know Bob Dylan. You know, what is the pers- the persona? What is real? What isn't? When he says something, what is is it meant to be irony? Ironic? Is it meant to be? You know, it's it's. Do you have a radar for that? Do you or do you know or does anyone have a radar for that? Sure. I will. I, I do think that the diaries when Andy talks about his feeling of not being good enough and wanting Mm. to go on the love boat or when he talks about certain movies like for example the never-ending story i know um and he's and he says it's all about the nothing and and that's my philosophy i think it's actually in those smaller moments that we get a, a a sense of who the real andy was um but i also think that anyone can contain um, multitudes. And in fact, it's mm. Julian Schnabel who says that Andy is like Walt Whitman, which is maybe yeah. an extreme example of that, but there can be mm. competing thoughts within someone's um, worldview and, and in fact, what they confess in the diaries. Indeed. Maybe we'll leave it at that. Okay. Thank you, Andrew, so much. Thank you. Uh, we've been speaking with Andrew Ross, uh, Rossi, sorry, Andrew Rossi, writer and director of the Andy Warhol Diaries, released on March 9th on Netflix. I'd like to give a shout-out to Sam and Joe Graves at Intersound Audio in Eskrick, England, in deepest, darkest Yorkshire. A big thanks to Nevin Apanovich, podcast manager at Alamo Pictures, who ensures we continue getting great guests onto the show. And finally, a big thanks to our listeners. As always, we love to hear from you, so please keep sending us feedback and episode ideas. You can reach out to us on YouTube, social media, or directly by going to our website, www.factualamerica.com and clicking on the Get In Touch link. And as always, please remember to like us and share us with your friends and family wherever you happen to listen or watch podcasts. This is Factual America, signing off. You've been listening to Factual America. This podcast is produced by Almo Pictures, specializing in documentaries, television, and shorts about the USA for international audiences. Head on down to the show notes for more information about today's episode, our guests, and the team behind the podcast. Subscribe to our mailing list or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Alamo Pictures. Be the first to hear about new productions, festivals showing our films, and to connect with our team. Our homepage is alamopictures.co.uk.